When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. From noon till three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land, and Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and ordered Jesus to drink it. The rest said, Now leave him alone. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. 
At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and what had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. As evening approached, there came a rich man named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. We sit on the steps of death, the steps of death. Undanced, the music ends. Unaware that tomorrow's stars are there, they're just not out yet. As we sing, I'm going to ask you to stand and you're going to join me as we do this together with the music. So I'll ask you to stand now.
And then, on the first dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Suddenly, there was a, a great earthquake, for an angel came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled away the stone and sat on it. The angel's appearance was like lightning, clothes like sunlit snow. The guards, they were so afraid that that they shook like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He is risen, just like he said. Come, see the place where he lay, and then go and tell his disciples, he is going on ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, until suddenly Jesus met them. Well, they came to him and and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Greetings, he said. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my disciples to go ahead of me to Galilee, and there they will see me. To sing all the great Easter songs, the ones that have lived through many generations of singers, churchgoers, and uh, hymn books. The next one is uh, number 333, and you want to stand to sing. Salvation. The song never goes rejected. 
This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Oh 
going to ask all the children to come up for the children's story. Hi, Ella. You guys want to come around maybe a few more? Why don't you come over here, some of you? Just spread out here. Or do you want oh, you stay over there too? Okay, that's good. There are a lot of you this morning. Wow. This is really good. Just so you know, when we go off to Children's Church after, we might be doing it with a little bit of excitement and noise. And so um, grade three and four, I think I've got that right, are going to Children's Church for today. I think the others aren't. Is that correct? Middle school are staying, everybody else is going to Children's Church. Okay, so it looks like pretty much all of you are going to Children's Church. Great. I'm four. You're four. Okay. You're four. Oh, boy. Okay. I'm, how old are you? Three. Three. You want to guess how old I, do you want to guess how old I am? 382. Max, you are close. 63. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't have said it first. Were you going to get, that's what you were going to guess, weren't you, Lewis? No? No, okay. Okay. Well, you know what? Um, today is, yeah. What's today? Anybody know what day we're here is today? Somebody want to say Easter? Somebody want to tell me a little bit about the Easter story? Can you tell me some things about it? Yeah, Mabel, why don't you start? Jesus died on a cross. That's what we remember on Good Friday. You're right. Okay, more. What about more? Yeah, Paxton. I mean, Xander. I'm sorry. I do that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, nails in his hands and his feet right on the cross. Yes. Decorate Easter eggs because something exciting is going to happen. Yes, Lucia. <clears throat> you forget? Okay. You know what? What happens today? Today's Easter. We talk. Oh, go ahead, uh, Lewis. Rose. He just said a little louder, Lewis. Rose from the dead. So we say that Jesus died, but then rose from the dead. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever seen that? No. No. You know, when I was young, I had a little dog. Her name was Moxie. We had a park close to our house, and I would never take Moxie on a leash because I could walk with her there, and then when I wanted her to come with me, I would call her by just saying Moxie. But one day, I don't know what it was, Moxie was ready and eager to run, and I was at the corner by the park, and I was going to cross the street, and she was supposed to stay by my feet, and she quickly ran out onto the street, and a car was there. And a car hit her. I still remember the color of the car. It was a green car. I even remember the name of the young man who was driving it. He felt so bad that he had hit my dog, Moxie. Well, Moxie died that day, and I no longer had a dog. And I was very, very sad. But you know what? Pets, we get sad about them. But when people we love die, we are really, really very sad. And this morning, somebody that I was talking with was telling me about that as they listened to the morning service, and they were, they were almost crying. Has that happened to any of you that someone you love has died? Yeah, somebody want to tell me about it? Anybody? Paxton. You want to tell me? Your auntie died of cancer, yeah. My dad. Your dad's uncle died. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah. Um, Ella. My auntie died because of brain cancer. Because of brain cancer. That's right. And that was very hard for her family and for all of you who loved her very much, right? Yes. Yeah, the same. You know, when people die, we are very, very sad. But you know what? When it does, you probably all will be sad always in some kind of way. But you know what God does? God makes us happy again because, you know what, today is the day that we say that we are not sad always and all the time because not always will everything be dead. 
I was very sad when my dog died, but you know what? I learned from that how to care for and love for a pet. And I think along my life that has helped me because I was very sad at the time, but I had learned something through my life with Moxie. I didn't have her anymore, but I knew how I should live. Well, at Easter, we tell the story of Jesus being dead and then being alive. And seeing Jesus alive after being dead is like God's promise that even when we're sad, and we're sad when people die that we love, we will be happy again. God always brings some happiness. It's like with God, things never end up only sad. There's always going to be some happiness. Sometimes it takes some time, but there's always going to be some happiness. That's God's promise to us. And I will say, why? Because Jesus died and is alive, rose again. Now, how do you think we could imagine that and keep it in our minds as something that we could say, I saw that, and that's a way of remembering it. Could we look at the tomb back here and wonder about that? How would we make the tomb empty? Somebody want to help me, Paxton? You want to help me make the tomb empty? Me. Paxton, why don't you get up? Okay. Now, we celebrate that Jesus was dead, but now Jesus rises. Isn't alive, right? Okay, well, could you grab the front of that, Paxton? Can you grab the front there? Just grab, and then white underneath there. Okay, is everybody ready? Yeah. yeah. Will something rise? You think? Let's go. Oh, way it goes. Way it goes. Some more. Oh, okay. Oh. 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 And after that, what do we say about the tomb? It's empty. Will we always be sad? No. Sometimes we're sad and it can't go away, but God says someday we'll be happy again. Now, this is what we're going to do to remember this. We've got batons with ribbons here, and everybody, not yet, everybody's going to get one. And you're going to be able to twirl them around, and after church, you're going to be able to take it home. And the singers here are going to sing this really, really good song about God making all things new or happy, not sad. And while they do, you're going to take these, and you're going to walk down the aisles, and you're going to wave them before you go to children's church. And you know what? If you want to, you can keep going until they stop singing. You can go up and down and everywhere. You just keep going until we stop singing, okay? So can I, Ella, can you hand those out there? John, can you hand those out there? And Willa, can you hand them out? Everybody take one, okay? Okay, you start to take one. Everybody be sure to grab one. Might not be able to get the color you want. Okay, everybody, you start wandering around and waving your ribbons. Okay.
Oh, that was great. Okay, kids who are not in middle school, you can go back to Children's Church now. Middle school kids, you're going to stay with your parents. Lucky you. <laughs> you can keep those. They're yours. You can keep your wands. Wands? Batons? Olympic event of twirling? Rhythmic gymnastics. It's all yours. The sword fight in the front was nice. (laughs) Morton Kelsey was born... In 1917, in rural Illinois, five weeks premature, Morton's skin was thin and transparent, his head disproportionately large, his fingernails and toenails not yet formed, not yet fully formed. He forever had a ridge on the back of his head from the forceps that were used at his birth. In old letters, Morton discovered that when his mother first saw him, she rejected him and called him hideous. She'd even written a letter to her sister that she had given birth to a monster. Certain that this tiny premature baby would die soon, she refused to care for him. She she was forced to feed her child by her husband and doctor, and nowadays we might actually call this postpartum. Morton would share later, according to letters from my father, I was rarely held as a baby. I was so tiny, my parents kept me in a shoebox placed next to the wood stove for warmth. My father wrote that he often expected to find me dead in the morning, but for whatever reason, I lived. When Morton was six months old, his family moved to Pennsylvania for work in a mining town and lived in a house provided by the mine where his dad was now a manager. Morton's mom had duties as the manager's wife back in the day and was eager to spend time away from her baby and thus only held him when she was nursing him. As a baby, Morton was also diagnosed with mild cerebral palsy and drooled constantly. He also suffered from hearing loss and only after a routine checkup in college was it discovered that he was nearly deaf. To adapt, he learned to read, read lips as a child, but all through his growing up years, his speech was slurred. His parents believed that their youngest son with cerebral palsy and undiagnosed hearing loss was unfit for the world and would need to live an institutionalized life. My parents gave me just enough love to keep me alive, Morton often said. As soon as he was weaned, Morton was placed in a detached cottage apart from the main house. A 14-year-old girl from town was hired to live in the cottage and provide full-time care for Morton. For his first four years, he lived a separate life from his family. And when he was four, a local doctor recommended that Morton be placed in a home for children with disabilities. As part of the intake process, he took an intelligence chest, chest, test. His scores were so high that the officials made him take the test twice. Both times, he was near the top of the scale. So following this test, Morton was brought home and for the first time received love and acceptance from his parents as a full son. Years of rejection, however, had already inflicted deep damage on his soul and psyche. Predictably, Morton suffered from extreme bouts of depression and anxiety as an adolescent and young adult. Although he was bright and received high grades and scholarships to college, he struggled constantly with thoughts of hurting himself. In his early 20s, filled with feelings of worthlessness and self-hatred, he went up for a walk into the mountains near his house, not sure if he'd ever come back. He waited until night descended, lay on his back looking at the stars and waited for midnight. And then a song came to him. It was not a song heard through the ears. It was deeper than that. It was a song that came from the rocks and trees and stars and earth. He says, 
It entered my body from all directions. It was a sort of lullaby, a song of warmth and comfort and love. Please join with me uh, praying the prayer of confession. The words will be on the screen here behind us. Lord, we stand in awe at the thought of your resurrection. What does this mean for our lives, for your church? Lord, hear our, heal our every thought of disbelief in your presence and power. As you revealed yourself to your followers on that day, come to us with your delight and love. With joyful hearts, we renew our relationships with you. It was a sort of lullaby, a song of warmth and comfort and love. And this is the turning point in his story. The song Morton heard that night reorders his sense of self. He is disoriented, confused, and lifted by what he has felt. He wonders if this is some kind of encounter with God, but has little religious understanding. The next day, still shimmering from his revelation in the mountains, he walks into town and enters the first church he finds. 
And the small town priest in the, in the neighborhood Episcopal Church listens to Morton's story and then invites him to dinner with his family. And over the next year, through the care of the priest and good therapists and a variety of spiritual practices, Morton finds a way through the deep rejection and pain of his early childhood. And he goes on to graduate school and seminary and becomes a husband, a father, a writer, a professor, and a spiritual teacher. But then, in 1994, something extraordinary happened. When he was 77 years old, he received a letter from a woman named Clara. Now, this was pre-internet, right? So they're like snail mail your favorite authors. <laughs> and in the letter, the woman said she had come across one of his books and wondered if Morton had ever lived in a mining town in Pennsylvania. Now, Morton had written many books and received many letters, but he did respond to this one specifically, saying yes. And he mailed her a copy of one of his books, a book of legends from the indigenous um, group of the Seneca First Nation, indigenous tales from the Seneca First Nation. And he had been told these stories as a child. Within days, Morton received a reply. Clara wrote back to him and to, to tell him that she was very familiar with the Seneca tales. In fact, she was the one who told them to Morton when he was a little boy. Clara went on to write, when I was 14 years old, your parents hired me to take care of you. You were just an infant, but they placed you in my care, and together we lived in a detached cottage. I felt like I was the luckiest girl in town. Your parents provided a crib for you to sleep in, but unbeknownst to them, you never slept in that crib. You always slept next to me. Your parents rarely held you, but I loved to hold you constantly. And as you got older, I sang to you and told you stories. And for four years, you were the center of my life. You were my best friends. Later, Clara wrote back, I've been looking for you my whole life, Morton. Please come and see me. She was 91. So of course, Morton went to go and see her. He and his wife, Barbara, hopped onto a plane. And when they met Clara in a restaurant, she had pictures, 75-year-old snapshots of herself holding Morton as a baby and a toddler. But she didn't only have photographs. At 91 years old, she remembered the vivid details of Morton's earliest years, what he ate, the toys he played with, the books he liked, his favorite hat. Morton's wife commented, they loved each other immediately. It was like a long lost son returning to his mother. But the image I'll never forget is when we went to leave. We stood in the doorway, exchanging goodbyes, when Clara leaned in and hugged Morton. And she placed her head on his chest and began to sing. It was a lullaby. It was a song she had sung to Morton when he was a baby. And suddenly Morton began to weep. She sang and he wept these deep tears. And I had no idea why he was so moved. The song ended, they said their goodbyes, and Morton was silent for a long time. And finally, he spoke to his wife. Do you know that song Clara sang? The lullaby? Who picked this story? Jeepers. <laughs> the lullaby she sang to me as a child? That was the same song that came to me in the mountains all those years ago when life had lost all meaning. It was a song that came from the rocks and the trees and the stars and the earth and it entered my body from all directions, a song of warmth and comfort and love. Now in his late 70s, Morton had to change his life story. No longer was his story one about being rejected and unloved as a child. He now talked about Clara his surrogate mother, the 14-year-old who cared for him and showed him the face of love 
and showed him the face of God. Please pray with me. God of life, thank you for empty tombs and Jesus Christ, risen and alive. Thank you that death does not have the final word. God, we pray for our communities. Show us places where we can work for peace, reaching out to those who are desperate and hurting. Thank you that you are working every day in every way bringing new life bursting forth where it seems there is only death, surprising us with hope and delight. God of humanity, you know us in our humanness. You know us inside and out. You know the areas in our lives that are lifeless. God, we are grateful that you are capable of the impossible. You help bring new life where there is lifelessness. You help resurrect hope where there is despair. God, we ask that you bring hope to those who, who we know who are filled with grief. Hope to those who are facing health challenges. Hope to those who are struggling to make ends meet. Hope to those in our world who are living amidst war. Hope to those faced with the effects of a changing climate. And hope to each one of us. We pray these things in the name of Christ, whose life and love death could not destroy, whose resurrection is our hope now and forever. Amen. Number 340 is a wonderful triumphant song of hope. Please stand.
Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Please stand for the benediction, and you can remain standing for our last song. May the Christ who walks on wounded feet walk with you on the road. May the Christ who serves with wounded hands stretch out your hands to serve. May the Christ who loves with a wounded heart open your hearts to love. May you see the face of Christ in everyone you meet, and may everyone you meet see the face of Christ in you. Amen. Crowns, number 408. Rachel. 